horror, wine, and crime fam. What up on this lovely, lovely Saturday? Yes, beautiful Saturday. We are together, uh, excited to talk about this story, having a little girl's night. We are. um, Lisa Moore will be joining us later. She did not make it in time for the episode, but it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. We still still get to enjoy her presence uh, afterwards, so... We're going to have quesadillas and sangria. Heck yeah. Starting a little early. Oh yeah. Ready for it. Pumped. <laughs> Can never be too early with sangria, I mean, in my opinion. <laughs> they're like they're like the mimosa of, of wine. <laughs> um, I went and seen Bullet Train with the kids. Good. And it was. There was a lot of like, oh shit, moments in there. I'm not going to say anything else because it's too new. People haven't, might not have seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But if you guys haven't seen it, seriously, it's worth the $11. Go see it. I That is definitely on my list of movies that I want to see, um, especially after hearing you talk about it. And I'm sorry, but Brad Pitt still has it going on. Mm. <laughs> He'll never lose it, man. Oh my God. Gosh, dude, I remember falling in love with him, like, when Legends of the Fall, and that's, like, 1994. So he's still got it going on. Yeah, his hair is a little shorter, but, yeah. Still, still acceptable, still, oh. still low approved. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely want to see that one. It looks good. I did see, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Okay, I read the book. Oh, okay, you did. Oh, so you probably know, then, how it all ends. Unless they switched it up for the movie, because I didn't read it, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but um, we won't spoil it for yeah. some people. But it was good. It was better. I wasn't, like, I didn't have high expectations going into it. Um, it was kind of, like, the only time, you know, when, like, the time works out better than, like, a movie you'd rather see. But you're like, oh, this one looks okay. We'll just see this one. But it exceeded my uh, expectations, so. Uh, our homegirl produced it recently. I know, so. right? And I didn't even realize that until, like, afterwards. I'm like, oh, oh, my God. But it was good. I definitely would recommend that one also. Um, I have a funny little story. Well, it's a happy, funny story. Yeah. you guys will probably laugh. So for those of you that are new, you may not know. For those who have been with us from day one, they've heard. Um, so last year, my daughter was bullied pretty hard by some mean girls at her school and it was just she endured a couple years of it and it was just so tough I couldn't get her to school I had to medicate her to get her to school and it was just terrible this year she's made friends she joined the swim team she comes home she always has a happy story she's smiling she's laughing she's giggling last night she went to the varsity football game with her friends like it's just if you're a mom who's you know uh been through the bullying with their kids and then just see the switch you'll know like how much it's just like oh my gosh well we were in the car today and i was asking her about the game last night if she had fun and you know did she hang out with anyone besides her friend jordan and she's like no but she's like my friend jordan oh she said her friend jordan and another girl that was friends with jordan but they kind of became friends and we're sitting together because jordan's in the band and she's like they did the taylor swift swift the Taylor Swift song, You Belong to Me. Oh, yeah. I think, is that that one? You wear short shorts. Yeah, yeah. Short shorts, I wear t-shirts. T-shirts, yeah. Yeah. 
So, and Charlotte loves that song. So I'm like, she's like, it was so good. And I'm like, okay, well, we're driving to drop her off at her dad's today. And all of a sudden she's playing, she plays the song and she's singing along and I'm singing with her. And out of nowhere, I just started crying. Aww. Like tears down both eyes. And I'm like, I don't know why, Charlotte, but I'm crying to Taylor Swift right now. Like, I don't know what's happening to me. Oh, my gosh. But I think I was just so happy because what she was talking about, Taylor Swift, with a good story of friends in school. Right. And it was a good memory and happy. And I think that's why it just hit me. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen her this happy in so long. Right, yeah. I got over-emotional, but... So that was my morning, but I was like, it was just so weird. Like, I'm like, why am I crying to Taylor Swift? Oh my like, God. Was, no, I love that. But it was just a cute little moment. Yeah. I'm just so happy that my daughter's having such, it's like night and day from last year. Yeah, like, that's. It's a whole new person. That's awesome. Like, I'm so happy for her and for you because I, you know, it takes a toll on you as her mom too. So the fact that she's starting off having like a really great year has to just be like the best feeling ever oh my god she's involved she's in stuff people she hurt her ankle and she told me that some boy she doesn't even know could have been a senior at that she thought she was gonna miss her bus at the end of the school day because usually she doesn't take the bus home because she's got practice so she had to find the bus some kid grabbed an office chair ran it down the hallway pretty much like plopped her in the chair grabbed her backpack <laughs> And running down the hallway with the wheel, with the office chair. Oh, my gosh. All the way to the bus and then had the bus wait and got her on the bus. Oh, my God. That's, like, that's so awesome. I was like, who's the kid? She's like, I don't know. After that, he was gone. She's like, I, I don't even know his name. I was like, well, you might want to find that guy. Right? Keep your eye out for him. Could be a keeper. Like a senior. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, then maybe not. Maybe we'll <laughs> stay away from the seniors right now. <laughs> but that's awesome. So, yeah. So, I just love hearing the little stories like that. So far, everybody... Shout out to Oxford High School, Michigan, because everybody there is just so nice, so kind, so friendly. Ugh. She's, knock on wood, she hasn't brought home one bit of drama. That's well, awesome. Except against her brother, because they go to school together. <laughs> that's so, natural, though. That's shit, right. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Oh, my God. I love that. Okay. Now that my happy moments of my life I'm done with my happy happy rant. We'll yeah. with the dark shit. <laughs> We're going to ruin your happy story with some some effed up stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I um, was just researching, like, looking for a story to do. I had never heard of this one before. But it kind of caught my attention um, because, basically, I read, like, a short little snippet of it on something else when I was just looking at different stories. And it was about a family who, you know, believed that their house and they were being haunted by like this evil spirit um but it turns out that the only evil thing living in their house was a boy named daniel laplante so all right well let's get ready to hear the story dax shepherd are you ready what's up what up dax uh, i almost missed you again god this is becoming I a bad you. theme it's because you know what guys i'm gonna be real it's because i haven't listen to him in such a long time because he's only on spotify and my phone has no storage so i deleted spotify that kind of sounds like a shitty excuse guys don't you i think? know it really is i and need to she doesn't even know he just had neil Petros harris and tom hanks like he's on fire yes man. dude you you told me about a few and i follow him on instagram so i've seen a few other people on there that i'm like oh i want to listen to that but i just need to 
I need to re- reorganize my phone's life and make storage for uh, for Mr. Dax. <laughs> so it's definitely on my agenda. So I'm sorry. Okay, so Daniel LaPlante, he was born um, on May 15th in 1970 in Townsend, which is uh, a city in Massachusetts. He sadly had a pretty traumatic upbringing, to kind of just say the least. Um, You know, there's not a ton of information about his upbringing out there, um, but what people do know is that it was a pretty traumatic environment for him as a child. He suffered sexual and psychological abuse from his father and his stepfather. Um, They would torment him physically, emotionally, and sexually all on a regular basis. Um, So growing up, Daniel lived with his mother and his stepfather primarily, and they really didn't take good care of him. Um, You know, he was always very unclean and unhygienic. Um, He kind of smelt, people would say, and his clothes were just always dirty. So he basically... uh, had a lot of at-home issues going on for him. Um, And sadly, this caused a lot of issues at school for him. You know, it carried over. He attended North Middlesex High School, and the kids there would just constantly make fun of him. They called him creepy. They called him weird. Um, You know, he was known to act differently and unusually, so they kind of would avoid him. You know, nobody would really befriend him because of this behavior Um, and also you know he did have the smell because his home life was just so unclean so kids were definitely super terrible to him Um, which is just so sad you know suffering enough at home and then let alone not having that escape going to school you know some kids who do have horrible home lives at least get to have like a little escape when they're at school but he was just basically tormented both places at home and at school um so that's just really really sad just to know for his past and and again you know I never excuse like people making horrible decisions or like being bad people to other people um in their life but it is just sad it makes me sad like for the child in him, you know, that he had to go through that and clearly those things make a person who they are when they get older. He also struggled with his grades in school because he was dyslexic. So the school noticed this and they recommended that he start seeing a psychiatrist where he was um, ultimately diagnosed with hyperactive disorder. Usually therapy, you know, it can be like a great tool and asset for a ton of people um, and just help them become better and grow and all of that. But unfortunately, through these sessions for Daniel, it did the complete opposite of help him because the psychiatrist ended up sexually abusing him as well during his sessions. This kid can't catch a freaking break with that. I know, like, it's honestly just heartbreaking like everywhere he goes he's just being like tormented by all these people surrounding him um so yeah because of this obviously his psychological condition it just ended up becoming worse than it was before he had even started seeing this psychiatrist 
So by age 14, Daniel got involved in criminal activity and um, he started to break into people's houses and, you know, steal their valuables and he did it quite often. So a year later, by the time he was 15, he would actually not just break into people's houses and steal their stuff, but now he like liked to make it obvious that he had been in there because he liked the feeling, like the thought of people who lived in the home feeling paranoid and just being scared knowing that someone had been in their house. Like he kind of like got a high off of it, got a thrill from like knowing he was scaring people and making them uncomfortable. Um, So he would just like, when he like broke into their houses, he would slightly shift furniture around. He would leave things out like cups of water, a little bit of food. Um, So like it was nothing super major that he was doing to their home. Like he, he never like destroyed property or whatever. I mean, he did break in and steal stuff. But as far as like making his presence known to people, he, he would just do slight things like that. Yeah, he just basically wanted them to know that he had been in their house. And then in 1986, Daniel actually went further with his breaking and entering scare, um, all these tactics. He went a step further with the Andrews family. So the Andrews family, they lived in Pepperwool, Massachusetts, um, which wasn't too far from where Daniel was at, and the family consisted of Father Brian and his two daughters, 15-year-old Annie and 9-year-old Jessica. Uh, They had actually, sadly, just recently lost their mother pretty suddenly to cancer. Um, So they were all obviously going through a really tough time emotionally just dealing with that loss um, and it being just the three of them. Um, And Brian was also now picking up longer hours at work so that he can earn more money to provide for the girls by himself now that his wife was gone. So because of this, the girls were spending a lot of their time, you know, just being at home alone during the day and into the night while Brian was at work. One day they were home alone and they received a call on the home phone and 15-year-old Annie answered and It was a boy from the neighborhood and, you know, she was 15 years old. She was at that age where, you know, she was boy obsessed. She liked talking to boys all the time with her friends. Um, So when she was getting calls from this boy, you know, she was excited. And this boy continued to call like every day for a little while. He told her his name was Daniel and that he had gotten her phone number from a mutual friend at school Um, which, by the way, was a complete lie. Uh, He had actually previously broken into the Andrews family home um, before, you know, doing all these calls, and they had family photos just all up over the house, and so he had seen Annie in those photos, and pretty much from that point forward just became obsessed with her. Um, And so he managed to figure out their phone number um, and just started calling her every single day. Or am I trying to laugh? But I just, it's a serious story. But in my mind, I just ran the song, Annie, Are You Okay? Are You Okay? Okay, Annie? yeah, for real. Like, she, she, at this point, she thinks she's okay, but. <laughs> That's probably a bad joke, but. No, I mean. kind of ran through my head as you were. It's okay. You, it you made head. me laugh. We both have the, the same dark sense of humor. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, so yeah, he tells her that, like, cause she doesn't know him, right? He just says that they have a mutual friend at school. So they're just talking on the phone every day. And he tells her that he's tall, he's blonde, he's smart, he's athletic, uh, pretty much just lying about the way that he was and the way that he looked just to, you know, sound more enticing to Annie, just to get her more on board with this, uh, quote-unquote relationship they had going on um so they spoke on the phone every day for about a week until eventually he invited her on a date where his plan was that he would pick her up from the house and then they would go to the local fair together um and annie was so excited you know so stoked because this supposedly cute popular guy got her phone number has been calling her every day and now wants to take her on a date so she's of course like all for it you know um well date night arrives the doorbell rings annie goes and answers the door and she opens the door and she's shocked because she isn't opening the door to the hot tall blonde athletic dude um she sees daniel laplante and he had dark, greasy hair. He was like five foot eight. He was skinny. He had that very unpleasant, distinct smell about him. He was just like, you know, kind of the complete opposite of what he had described to her on the phone. So she was kind of like, you know, did a double take, like, what the heck is going on? He could have at least washed his hair. I, yeah, he could have washed his hair. I mean, I, I don't know, but... Yeah, or he could have described himself more similar to the way that he looked, so it wouldn't have been as shocking, but whatever. Um, Brad Pitt, maybe more Rob Lowe. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Make it a little less shocking. <laughs> um, but Annie, you know, she was a really nice girl. She was really sweet, and she had enjoyed their phone conversations. She liked talking to him on the phone. So she went She went with it. She went on the date. She gave him a chance. Um Unfortunately for her, because it definitely did not go well. Um, so as they're walking through the fair, they're kind of talking about just life and they talk about their families a little bit. And Annie mentioned to Daniel that her mother had recently passed away due to cancer. Um, and, you know, I feel like when someone says this to somebody else, they're just like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, whatever. But when she mentions this to Daniel, um he kind of like lit up like it kind of like he like got like excited by this topic of conversation of her mom just dying he had like a weird little spark in his eye and he started bombarding annie with questions about her mother's death and like not only was it extremely recent it's still obviously a very sensitive subject for her and she doesn't really want to talk about it especially like in length and in detail with some guy that she just met um but especially not in the way that daniel is trying to talk about it with her um because the question the, like all the questions he's asking her like how did you feel the moment your mother died how badly did she suffer until the moment of her death like these are the questions he's asking her pretty much really dark and uncomfortable stuff that annie obviously wasn't into talking about at all um, which I can't even imagine, like, that happening. Like, I feel like in that moment she had to have been a little scared, 
or like creeped out at least because there it's like red flags vibing. Yeah, red flags were flying They're all over flying. the place. Yeah. <laughs> so after about an hour, uh, she cut the date short and she made it very clear that she did not want to hear from him again obviously, you know, no surprise there. And she left and she went home. A few days later, her and her sister Jessica were hanging out at home alone again. And they were just talking and looking back on old times about their mother and, you know, how much they miss her and all the memories that they had and everything. Uh, They decided to take a Ouija board down to the basement and hold like a seance type situation to try and contact their mother. Now, they said that they don't actually, they didn't actually, like, expect anything to happen. Um, You know, they didn't actually expect to connect with her. But it was just kind of a thing that they wanted to do. More of, like, an emotional, spiritual thing to kind of feel closer to her. And just, since they were talking about her, they just wanted to, you know, go and try it or whatever. So, they hold the seance. Um, Nothing happens. Um like at all and then they hear their dad Brian get home so they kind of quickly put it away and head up to bed because they didn't want to get in trouble for for playing with the Ouija board or whatever so they go to bed and then later that night they start hearing these tapping sounds from their two separate bedrooms Jessica runs into Annie's room and she's like oh my god did you hear that and you know Annie's like yes I heard that too Um, so obviously they start thinking, this must be mom trying to contact us because, like, we literally just tonight did this, like, whole seance thing, and then we're hearing these tapping noises all over the house. So they kind of stay up in Annie's room together, talking about their mom, listening to these tapping sounds, thinking that she's giving them a sign that she's there with them. Um, sadly though, the excitement really didn't last very long for them because this tapping went on for weeks and it would only happen when they were home alone or when they were trying to sleep. So it would wake them up at night. It would keep them up. It was disturbing their sleep, you know, and they would tell their dad, Brian about it. But whenever they would, um, take him to where they were hearing the tapping, it would immediately stop. And, you know, they would say, I swear there were, there was tapping going on. Um, and saying, like, we think it's mom, like, trying to contact us. And Brian was just like, okay, girls, like, I think, you know, I'm sure she's watching over us, but I don't think, you know, she's not actually here. I think maybe you're just, it's in your head, basically, you know, brushing it off, as parents do. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Then, as time goes on, the girls started to notice even weirder things. They started to notice, like, pieces of furniture around the house moving. They started to notice things from the house disappearing, like some clothing, food, that kind of thing. So just very subtle changes happening in their house, along with the tapping. There was this one instance where one of the girls had put a glass of water and some snacks on a table and then she left the room for just a couple of minutes and when she came back, the glass was empty and her food was gone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, am I, would I be mad (laughs) that my food's gone? You just made me angry. Right. (laughs) Am I scared or am I mad? Take the lamp, but give me my freaking sandwich. Right. <laughs> you should take my food, okay? It's a whole other level. <laughs> um, 
so they again told their dad about what was going on and he was like look i know i know it's you guys moving the furniture around the house to try to get me to believe that your mom is here with us um but i just don't think she is and i and he just like kind of thought it was like their way of coping with the grief and maybe trying to reach out for his attention during this time which is understandable you know i could see where he was coming from also especially if he wasn't experiencing any of that stuff himself so after a couple of weeks the girls started to get really scared they no longer at this point believed that it was their mother trying to let them know that she was there with them because they didn't think that their mom would be stealing stuff from them and moving things around to try to like freak them out and keep them up all night with the tapping so they thought that when they held the seance that instead of connecting with their mom they had actually connected with like an evil spirit or something of that sort and it was trying to mess with them uh things got worse so one night in january of 1987 they were home alone they heard the tapping sounds again which wasn't surprising because obviously they were hearing it all the time this time it sounded like it was coming from the basement so annie grabs a kitchen knife and the two girls go down to the basement to see what's going on and try to catch this evil spirit or whatever they were expecting to encounter with the knife knife. yeah i don't know what the knife would do to an evil spirit but you know i probably honestly would do the same thing i would grab a knife (laughs) um as soon as they got down to the basement the tapping stopped So they turned around to go back upstairs after, you know, not finding anything. But when they turned around, there was a message which looked like it had been written in blood on the wall. And it said, I'm in your room. Come and find me. Nope. Nope. How cryptic. When I tell you like that, I would literally faint, pass out fall to the ground deceased right then and there just keep it just keep it just yep i'm I'm smoking an apartment down the road that's your room now that's your room now my dude go for it (laughs) um so yeah obviously they freaked out like who wouldn't they screamed they ran out of their house and they went over to their neighbor's house and they were like can we stay with you until our dad gets home from work and you know the neighbor was like yes of course no worries And the neighbor could just see that they were obviously visibly shaken up. So uh, Brian gets home from work. The girls go over there to tell him what had happened. And he goes down to the basement. He sees the writing. And it was actually written in tomato sauce, so it wasn't blood. Um, And he's like, okay, enough is enough. You know, you can't be writing on the walls of the house. And he just, he still thought that it was the girls. He's like, you just cannot be writing on the house. This is unacceptable. And he decided to put them into grief counseling. And then for the next few weeks, the tapping stopped. And all of this stuff happening around the house seemed to stop and wasn't happening anymore. And it was like they could finally have some peace and quiet. Which, I don't know, I guess I'm torn on the whole him still thinking it was them. Because it's like they were visibly shaken up and scared and freaking out. Like, I don't think that they would, like, act like that if it was them. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. And the fact that, like, you know, the neighbors could see that they were really freaked out, you know. 
um, yeah, I was kind of like, I mean, I get it. The dad's trying to be dad and think logical. Right. But at the same time, I'm like, you need to give your kid the benefit of the doubt. Right. Yeah. Especially if this was out of character for them. I mean, I understand their mom just passed away, so they could be doing things out of character. But like, yeah, like you said, to give them the benefit of the doubt and just maybe investigate a little bit further before always pointing the finger at them. But yeah, so everything just seemed to stop while they were in grief counseling for a little bit and they kind of thought that everything was over and they didn't have to deal with this anymore. But then one day the girls were home alone again. Um, You know, Brian was at work and the tapping starts again. So Annie grabs a kitchen knife again and her and Jessica go and try to find where the tapping is coming from. And it sounds like it was coming from upstairs in Annie's bedroom. So they go up there and when they get to the doorway, they see another message and the message says, I'm back, come and find me. The girls freak out again, obviously, and they go to the neighbor's house again and say like, please, please let us stay here while we wait for our dad. And this time they kind of explain the situation of what's going on to the neighbor. So the neighbor calls Brian, you know, is like, oh, I, I think you need to come here because like, this is insane. Um, and Brian's like, oh my God, not this again. Um, because it had been, you know, a couple weeks without any incident and he hasn't had to hear about the tapping sounds or the foundation moving or the girls just kind of crying to him about this stuff. So he was like, oh my gosh, it's starting again. So he leaves work, he comes home and he goes into the neighbor's house um, and he says, you guys stay here. I'm just going to go check the house out by myself. So he goes inside, and as soon as he opens the front door, the house has been ransacked. Like, it's not looking good. And he's like, at this point, finally, he's like, okay, I know for a fact that the girls wouldn't do this. Um, They wouldn't, like, take everything out of the house and, like, make everything disappear, destroy, yeah. Um, And the girls also didn't tell him that the house had been robbed. So it, it had clearly happened between when the girls had run out of the house to the neighbor's house, um, to when he got home. So he goes up to Annie's bedroom and he sees the message, but there's now a new message in there when he gets home and it says, marry me. The girls also hadn't mentioned that message to him. So again, it obviously in his mind wasn't them and it had happened when nobody was there. So yeah, he's finally realizing at this point that they have not been lying to him all this time and something scarier and weird is going on. And then in that moment, from the corner of his eye, there's a boy standing in the corner of a room. Okay, and he's got a blonde wig on. He's wearing a wedding dress and it's actually Brian's dead wife's wedding dress that he's wearing. The boy is holding a hatchet, and as soon as Brian sees him, this boy just runs, and Brian runs after him, trying to catch him, but the boy then disappears. 
obviously Brian calls the police and the police come to the house. They search the house um, and that's when they find in Annie's bedroom behind one of her dressers, there's actually a crawl space and inside of the crawl space, they find the one and only Daniel LaPlante. <laughs> Just chilling in the crawl space in the walls. Um, he's in there, he's like curled up on the floor and immediately Brian recognized him as the boy with the hatchet and Annie recognized him as the boy that she had gone on the horrible date with two months earlier. So Daniel was arrested right then and there and taken in to the police station for questioning. Upon examining the crawl space, they came to the conclusion that he had been living there for about two months. So since the date he went on with Annie, he had been living in their walls, in their house. Horrifying. Oh my god, it's so creepy. So creepy. Like right on the other side of her wall. In yeah, her in her room. Like, you change, you sleep, you do lots of private stuff in there. Yeah. Like, like how violating that must have felt to her, like, knowing the, that that what was going on, you know? And they just thought that their house was haunted by a ghost or something. Which, honestly, I would think the same thing, especially if I just played with the Ouija board and then it started happening, like... She's probably wishing it was a ghost now. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, there were there was a sleeping bag in there. There were clothes that belonged to the Andrews. Um, through all of the walls, like inside of the walls, they were connected to every single room in the house. So that's kind of how he managed to get around and make those tapping sounds all around the house. Um, he had also made peepholes through the walls in every single room so that he could spy on the family. Um, so, yeah, he really, he, t- he took this quite serious and was, I mean, he was basically, he was stalking the family while illegally living in their freaking walls. Daniel was 16 at the time that this all happened and at the time of his arrest. So he was placed in a juvenile detention facility for the next 10 months. So he was there from January to October in 1987. Um, And the reason he was moved in October is because he actually turned 17 on the 16th of May um, while he was in juvie. So in October, the case was transferred from juvenile court to adult court, and he was charged with four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed assault, and a breaking and entering charge for more than $1,000 and malicious destruction of a property. So he was still just, you know, rampant in all of his crimes. And then, because he was being tried as an adult, he was allowed bail, so his mother helped him post bail, and he went and lived with her and his stepfather again until he was due to appear in Middlesex Superior Court on the 11th of December in 87. Unfortunately, though, in the two months that he was out on bail, he committed another crime in November. He had broken into a neighbor's house and stolen two 22 caliber handguns. And then not much later, the 1st of December, he walked about a half a mile to the house of the Gustafsson family. It being December, 
their house was, you know, looking very festive. It had been decorated for Christmas and all that. Um, the family consisted of 33-year-old Priscilla, her husband, 34-year-old Andrew, and their two children, 7-year-old Abigail and 5-year-old William. Priscilla was also pregnant during this time with her third child. She was a church nursery school teacher. She sang in her church choir and was just very dedicated to her faith. And she was known by everyone to just be a very sweet and caring person. So we don't really know why he picked the this family to, you know, break into their house. You know, nobody knows if it was like, a preconceived plan or if it was just kind of like he stumbled upon their house thought that would be a good house to break into whatever we don't really know that um, but when Daniel entered their home Priscilla and William were the only two members of the family that were home because Andrew was at work where he worked as an attorney and Abigail was at school oh, I don't like where this is going. yeah so the timeline of events and actually what and how it happened also aren't known. Um, but somehow Daniel managed to get Priscilla into the master bedroom where he sexually assaulted her. And then he placed a pillow over her head to muffle the gunshot sounds and he shot her twice in the head. He then went and drowned her five-year-old son, William, in the upstairs bathroom. Oh, God. I know. And it, I mean, that's, it gets worse. Um, so, seven-year-old daughter, Abigail, she finished school, and she caught the bus home, like usual, and walked home from the bus stop. And when she arrived home, unfortunately... Daniel then drowned her in the downstairs bathtub. So Andrew Gustafson arrived home at around 5 p.m. from work and he called out to his wife when he got home, but the house was like weirdly, eerily quiet, like just so silent and so he knew something was up and something was weird. So he went upstairs to the master bedroom where he found her lying on the bed face down with a pillow covering her head and blood everywhere. He immediately, you know, ran out of the house because he just, he did not want to see what had been done to his children. He knew something happened because, again, his wife was dead that he just saw and everything was so quiet. So he just knew in his gut that something had happened to the children too and so he ran out of the house because he just didn't even want to see. Um, he said he couldn't face the thought of finding them alone. So he called the police and the police came to the house. And they are the ones who discovered five-year-old William and seven-year-old Abigail in the separate bathrooms. In the master bedroom, they also found two twenty-two caliber bullet casings. They found semen on the bed, as well as an open, untouched can of beer. And they also found shoe prints on a flower bed outside of the family's home. The search for the perpetrator went, like, it got underway immediately. And the police were very quick to put Daniel on their list of suspects because 
he had just recently been released from juvenile detention. Um, he was living nearby at his mother and stepfather's house, and he was also known to, you know, constantly break into other people's houses. So they went to find him and question him, and they found him at the local library, and, you know, he of course denied having any involvement. He gave them an alibi saying he was at home all day and that he had also gone to attend his six-year-old niece's birthday party. Later that day, he went to his house, um, the LaPlante house, to question him again, the police did, and when they arrived at the house, Daniel was actually sitting on the porch, and when he saw the police approaching him, he just got up and he just started running and he ran into the woods near the house. So obviously, you know, you're, you're giving yourself away there, my dude. Like, you just immediately get up and run when you see them. Like, clearly, that's just, like, an omission of guilt, in, in my opinion. Um, so it was very clear to them that, you know, Daniel had something to hide. They then searched the LaPlante family home, and inside they found a twenty-two caliber bullet casing which matched the bullet casings found at the Gustafsson family home. They found a pair of Converse in Daniel's room, which also matched the shoe print that was found in the flower bed outside of the Gustafsson family home. They also found a pair of wet gloves, which police believed had been used to drown the two children with. They even found a sock with saliva on it, which they believe was used to gag Priscilla. And they found a necktie, socks, and pantyhose, which had been, like, tied together and made into a ligature. Um, One of Danny's socks that they had also found had fibers from the Gustafsson family home on it. And they even found items that had been missing from the family home like their cordless phone and a cable TV box. And then also in the yard of the LaPlante family home was Daniel's stepfather's Jeep Cherokee. And when they looked inside of that in the glove box, they actually found the gun that matched that had been used to murder Priscilla. So obviously a manhunt for Daniel began because they had all these clear indication you know, evidence against him that clearly he's the one who did this. Um, They had nearly 50 local and state police officers searching for him, as well as police helicopters and police dogs. But Daniel really was not good at staying under the radar, even while he was, like, fleeing from police. Did they check in the walls? (laughs) Right? In the walls? Honestly, I don't know, but they should have. I wonder if they did, because clearly he he can do that. He's masterful at that. Um, He actually abducted a woman at gunpoint and made her drive him around in her van. Luckily, the woman managed to escape and run away on foot. And she called the police, and so the police now knew what van Daniel was driving around in. There were also several other sightings of Daniel that were phoned into the police. And thanks to, you know, these sightings, they actually managed to locate and arrest him on December 3rd at 6.30 p.m. He was hiding behind a dumpster, 
in a lumber yard in Iowa, which is about 11 miles from Townsend, where his family home was. He was obviously arrested right then and there, and when police searched him, they found he had a gun stuffed in his underwear, and he was then charged with the murders of Priscilla, Abigail, and William. He also faced a range of other charges related to crimes he had committed while he was on the run, Um, And these were, of course, on top of the charges relating to the Andrews family that he had already. So his trial began in October of 1988, and he was 18 years old at this point. And although the crimes and murders took place while he was a minor, the judge ruled that he would be tried as an adult. He pled not guilty to all charges and was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation Um, But after the evaluation, he was found fit to stand trial. So, you know, they couldn't use like, what do they call that? Like psychotic, um, whatever, where they say they're too crazy. And that's why. last week's story. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the word for it. But yeah, so he he couldn't use that excuse because they were like, no, you're mentally fit enough. Probably should try punching his lawyer too. Right. Yeah, exactly. That seems to work. (laughs) That seems to work for people. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) I know um so at the end of the trial the jury deliberated for five hours before coming back and finding him guilty on all counts and Daniel was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences in 1993 he appealed his conviction on the grounds that the search warrant of his home should not have been granted Uh, but of course this appeal was denied because I mean, I just feel like that's stupid, but whatever. (laughs) He was also apparently a massive pain in the ass in prison to, like, everybody there. Um, In 2000, he requested to be moved for his own safety after receiving threats from other prisoners. And so this request, you know, it was granted and he was segregated from everybody else. And he then sued the Board of Prisons for not allowing him access to the library. And, like, the reason he wasn't allowed access to the library is because he had requested to be separated from all the other prisoners. And, obviously, other prisoners would be at the library. So, like, which is it, bro? Which one do you want? You know, I want to, like, for this guy and... um... Gabriel last week, mm-hmm. you know, with all the the suing and the, all the stuff. I want to send them like big boxes of boxes and boxes of straws. Yeah, and just be like, I hear your gross finite straws. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would actually be amazing. <laughs> Sorry, it's just because of the stupidity that these people. Reach yeah. To, to try to get anything it's just so insane it's like what do you want like what do you expect it's it's so crazy maybe not murder people how about that right there's your step one <laughs> step one is pretty i mean i find it pretty easy in my life not to do that you know <laughs> i've been tempted just kidding, just kidding. we joke we joke <laughs> um So he was actually granted 450 compensation for his rights being denied. He was also, he like threw a tantrum when his porn that had been mailed to him was confiscated because porn is like considered contraband in prison. So he like threw a fit basically because he couldn't have his porn. Um, 
In 2013, he claimed he wasn't properly able to exercise his faith. So he decided to become a Wiccan while in prison, uh, which basically, for people who don't know, it's like people who practice, I guess, witchcraft and like nature worship, um, stuff like that. Basically, in order to practice his faith, he needed to be brought dragon's blood, black opium, honeysuckle, and carrot cake is what he needed, apparently. Um, And in 2017, after having served 30 years in prison, he actually appealed for a reduced sentence after the Supreme Court ruled that juveniles cannot be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he was basically trying to be able to serve his life sentences at the same time rather than like each being like in a consecutive order, uh, which I don't understand. Like, I just don't get what the point of that is because they're life sentences either way. You know what I mean? Like, why does it like, is it just for your own like ego? I don't get like what the point of all that is if you're going to be in a prison for life anyways. But this was denied anyways, so he won't he won't be eligible for parole until 2032, uh, which is only 10 years away, which is crazy. I doubt that he would be granted it. I, I just feel like he's done too much to, I don't think that he would be granted parole at all. Personally, I would be shocked if he was. We'll come, we'll, we'll give you an update in 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, in 1989, Andrew Gustafsson, so the father uh, um, and husband of, you know, the family that died because of Daniel, he went on to remarry a woman named Carol, who was also a widow. And after their wedding, they both wore two wedding bands, one to remember their deceased spouses and one to mark their own marriage, which I... Had to throw that in there, yeah, because I just, that brought like a tear to my eye because I just thought that that was so sweet. Um, They also went on to have two daughters, Holly and Laura. Andrew left his law practice and went on to work as a child advocate for 12 years. And then he went on to work for the Massachusetts Conference of the United Church of Christ. Um, He unfortunately passed away of cancer at the age of 60 in May of 2014. Uh, but that was just kind of a little update on where he was at. Um, I know. But I feel, one, good for him to be able to move on and start another family because how do you? Like, yeah. If that was me, I feel like I would have, as you say, sometimes a born lady. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I would have just been me and my pups, me and dogs, and, mm-hmm. you know, because to get... To get um, past that, yeah. And it, then with him passing away at 60, I want to say that I feel very terrible for the family that he left behind. Mm-hmm. However, like, I'm hoping that he got to see his wife and unborn child and daughters. And yes. Kids again, daughter and son. So, you know, hopefully he was reunited with the family that he didn't get to have right. for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I love that he, you know, 
like we say sometimes, turn it into as much of a positive as he could, you know, working for children's rights, um, all that, leaving his old job behind, kind of just trying to make his life as, like, positive as he could after, like, such a disgusting, horrible situation. Well, he probably had so much anger in him and probably wanted to channel it into a better way than being angry or becoming a drunk or a drug addict or you know something angry right Um, instead he probably channeled it into saving all these other children which was very commendable yeah honestly because i think i I mean i can't even imagine that such going through that situation but i do think that like like you said like if he were to like turn to like drugs or alcohol or like go down a dark path i think that that's like the easier way you know i think it's much harder to like stand up and make positive with your life after such like a tragic you know occurrence but yeah the yeah this so definitely a sad ending i mean i'm glad that um daniel's in prison for life and like i said earlier like i i am sad for like the child in him because of obviously i think that he wouldn't have turned out to be who he was if his childhood wasn't like that you know if he had a loving supportive home if he wasn't like severely bullied you know at home and in school you know his life would definitely I'm sure have turned out differently but also like I feel like we always say when once you reach a certain age and point in like where your brain can process things you kind of have to take accountability and like make the right decisions for yourself Absolutely. Um, I did get this information from Bella Fiore and over at Ranker.com. So shout out to them. Um, but yeah, that was that was the story. Definitely a little sad and different. Okay, so as you all know, we did a summer fun fair raffle. And we picked our winner yes we did congratulations to Susie kellerman from marlboro new jersey Woo! congrats so congrats girl we are going to email you and get your information and your basket will be in the mail enjoy sleepaway camp because i love it so exciting um and if you guys missed entering this giveaway just keep listening and we'll announce the next one you know coming up soon as you know um it is that time of year coming so you know there's going to be fun stuff because it's halloween coming up right so excited we already started the uh, pumpkin spice season at my house so it smells amazing here guys she has all the pumpkin scents blowing i love it i'm like oh my god i need to get on your level asap so congratulations again, Susie. Enjoy your movie. Get the popcorn popping. Your friend's over. Yeah. And enjoy. And, and thank you for being a super fan. Yes. Thank you for donating. We appreciate you. And, and we appreciate everybody else who donated. Um, you know, better luck next time. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that will wrap up today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and yeah, we will catch you again next week with another fun, well, fun, you know, I put it 
in quotes uh, <laughs> with another fun story. It's going to be a little bit lighter. We'll give you that much. Yeah, guys, I'm excited for, for next week's episode. So and we're also going to watch a movie. Um, and then we're going to talk about that, too, because it's been a second since we did a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to feel that maybe some people like the true crime more than the horror. But, I mean, it is horror, wine, and crime. So we're tweaking some stuff. So we're going to um, criticize a movie. Yes. Um, but we're not going to tell you what it is till next week. Um, I've seen it, but I'm taking the girls on the ride with me to watch it. And I think my story and KK's story and what we watched, they're all going to kind of connect in little bitty, itty bitty ways. They're going to intertwine in a nice little creepy way. I love it. And I do promise you it won't be as dark next week. <laughs> yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, and yeah, we will talk to you guys next week. But in the meantime, stay creepy. We got to go. Bye. Bye.